So apparently my next guest as a weekly correspondent, Lou Terminello, loves Sam Spence's NFL music. So I figured what an appropriate thing to start our segment with, huh? Alex, I love NFL films music. It reminds me of my youth when I used to watch uh, This Week in the NFL. <laughs> well, and you know, Mr. Allen is long gone now, but I know that he made an impact on your life then if you were an NFL films fan. Absolutely. He was the voice. And I think Scott Graham's doing that well now as the voice of the NFL, wouldn't you say? Yeah, no. Scott Graham is an excellent uh, broadcaster, play-by-play guy. Uh, he he's a good narrator. He's he's excellent. I also I believe he's a, he's a Jersey guy too. I'm actually glad we're talking about this because the Eagles played the Giants, and of course, the other guy behind NFL Films for a long time was Harry Callis, and his, you know, he and John Facenda they had their ways of making you feel like. It was the NFL every Sunday. I mean, the way they did those NFL films was just pure, pure uh, art, if you will. Well, that art made every game feel like a big game. Even when they were narrating highlights of, of teams that were out of it, they made even that game seem bigger than it is. It didn't make that game seem meaningless. You're right. Well, let's, let's talk about the Eagles then, because obviously this is the third week. First of all, you called it. You calmed me down last week and said the Giants were going to beat the Vikings. And believe it or not, when Slayton dropped that midfield pass, I wasn't too worried. And maybe I should have been, but I wasn't. I figured, well, they're up by seven. Giants even has been pretty good all game. That drop really didn't matter in the long run, right? Well, it, it didn't. That would have ended the game and would have made it much easier the last two minutes and 56 seconds. But, uh, you know, Slayton's done a great job all year for the Giants as has Isaiah Hodges and uh, the unsung hero who missed a large portion of the season with that eye injury. And a, a kid who's going to be, who's a rookie and is going to be a good player for them moving forward is, is Bellinger. Bellinger is a good pass receiving tight end. And uh, I can see his production in the years to come being more and more prominent uh, for the Giants. Uh, that was a good win for the Giants, obviously. Daniel Jones uh, played the best game of his of his life on on Sunday, and uh, I was surprised that he was able to run uh, 17 times, but really 13 because the last the last three were just kneel downs uh, when they were in victory formation, and the Vikings really had no answer for Daniel Jones either through the air or on the ground. I think the Eagles. Uh, it'll be a different story this week uh, as far as that goes. Uh, the Viking defense, very vanilla. was very, very vanilla. vanilla. But, but that's the thing. I hate the fact that people were blaming the Vikings defense because, in my view, I thought the Giants actually showed some weaponry. They had Hodgins, who's like this star-studded rookie, you know, all of a sudden breaking out in Minnesota, doing it again this weekend. Bellinger, Barkley out of, you know— Finally, the first healthy year he's been here. Um, I didn't think it was so much the defense as much as the Giants showed their offense it could be. Well, the Giants were prepared to play offensively. There's no, there was no doubt about it. But the, the Vikings' defense is vanilla. Uh, Patrick Peterson uh, is over the hill. He's seen his best days. So their, their defensive backfield is, is not like the defensive backfield they'll see this week. Um, but that's not to take anything away from the Giants' offense, hey, that's the, uh, that's on that's on the Vikings' ineptitude. But again, Sunday was only, only the second time in the last 46 games the Giants had 30 points. And ironically, the other game was that game a couple of weeks ago against the Colts, which clinched the final 40, 40 straight, straight games. games. Before that, Before that, without, well, actually, uh, that was a Denny Jones four uh, touchdown points. day, if I'm not mistaken. So. Yeah, well, Daniel Jones, uh, for his first playoff game, showed poise. His accuracy improvement from last year is remarkable. Uh, he has pr he has presence. The fact that he doesn't turn the ball over anymore and doesn't look like a uh, a nervous Snelly back there it's it's an incredible improvement from last year, even from earlier in the year, as far as uh, 
Daniel Jones goes. And he's going to make a lot of money. He really is. I mean, the Giants didn't pick up his fifth-year option, which makes him a, you know, a free agent. And um, the Giants obviously are going to sign him. But we'll talk about free agent quarterbacks in a, in a couple of minutes because that's, that's very, very interesting. There's a there's a couple of interesting free agent quarterbacks coming up. But we'll stick on, we'll stick on the Giant we'll stick on the Giant Eagle game, which is going to be um, it's going to be a war on Saturday night. Um, a lot of pressure on the Eagles. Uh, the Eagles uh, with a one seed. They're playing at home. Uh, I think the keys to uh, the game, especially if you're looking at from a Giants standpoint, I think the Giants have to get off to a fast start, make the Eagles think, and uh, make the fans get on them. Playing at home on Saturday night may, may work against the Eagles if they get off to a bad start. I think the first quarter, the first quarter and a half of this game is going to be key. Because well, if there's, there's an there's early, early fumble, fumble or if the Giants uh, recover a, a fumble and it's a short field, uh, they, they score. Th- th- those fans are going to get on them quick early. All right, let's talk about Jalen Hurts' uh, health because I think that is a key factor going into this. You mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. I mean, he, he seemed to be okay in that final game, uh, you know, but we don't know. How is his health going to be this week? Isn't that a big question mark heading into the it, weekend? It, to me, it is the question mark of this game. And even in that last game of the season where the Eagles got off to the 19-0 lead, but they played it close to the vest. They knew they were playing the Giants' backups. And uh, we didn't see them stretch Hurts out in any way. I think a key early on to see if he's healthy, and if he's not healthy, this game is going to go right down to the wire. Because if he's not healthy, the Giants have the better quarterback who is healthy. Um, we'll know, in my opinion, and I could be wrong, we'll know early in the game if Hertz doesn't run the ball, and I don't mean trying to avoid a scramble, scramble or avoid a sack. I mean some, some designated run plays. If they pull back on that, that means they really don't want to see him get hit. Uh, so that, that might be a telltale sign. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, does he have a, cra- does he have a cracked uh, in his shoulder, a cracked bone? Is it just a, a short shoulder? What is it? Um, maybe maybe he'll come out. Maybe he's 100% healthy. Maybe he'll come out and be like the Jalen Hurts that put up 48 points on the Giants in the Meadowlands, you know, seven or eight weeks ago. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but um, Let me ask the other key injury is Lane Johnson, Johnson. The, 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 the right tackle, um, who gives them – so much security in their pass protection. But the, we'll know early. We, we will know early. Remember, the Eagles did have 70 sacks. That's a, that's a high number. And uh, so I think you'll see a lot of run-pass options for the Giants. I mean, last week you saw run-pass options, but it was more run. I think that there was more designation on, on the running than even – a, a, a RPO and the Vikings really never adjusted to it. They never did. And uh, the kid had just a spectacular game. I want to ask you this, Lou, is this a battle of possible coach of the years between Sirianni and Dable? Yeah, I would say so. Um, I, I would say, I mean, Sirianni's done a terrific job. I mean, they, they got off to that, you know, they were undefeated for, uh, a while, or they seven and zero, eight and zero, and then they they lost to the Redskins, uh, the the Commanders of all people, and um, but he's he's done a good job. I mean, they made the playoffs two years in a row, his first two years in the league. Their coordinators are young, just like uh, uh, the Giant. Well, the Giants' defensive coordinator is not young; he's been in the league a long time. But their the coordinators are their offensive coordinator is a second year guy. Their defensive coordinator is a first year guy. Um, and, uh, you know, that is a factor. But the Giants' offensive coordinator, Kafka, he's in his first year as an offensive coordinator, and he did a great job calling the game on on Sunday. The Vikings really had no answer. A couple of weird calls by Kevin McConnell. Uh, oh, uh, um, he, uh, that, that, that throwback on third and one early in the first period or uh, – I didn't get that when they were moving the ball pretty good. You know, that that, that worked against them. Uh, jumping 
jumping on fourth and one when there's when it was uh, 27-24, and they forced to go for a field goal instead of Cousins had made the first down. And, you know, th- those were some key plays, and and of course the key play in the Giant drive was that great 19-yard catch, one-handed catch by by Hodges um, on that winning on that winning touchdown. Um, it was it was an ex, it was an excellent it was an excellent road win for the Giants. That was a tough place to play. The fans were loud. It should give them a lot of confidence going into this week into this week's game. And uh, the pressure the pressure all of it's on Philadelphia, especially early in the game. That's in my opinion. You're an AFC guy. Uh, is the is the Dable dynamic, which I like to call what he's been running since that two-point conversion gutsiness to win against Tennessee in week one, the Dable right, dynamic, right. I like to call it. It, it. Are we seeing Buffalo, shades of Buffalo? Because remember, he and the GM came from that very organization that's been successful under Josh Allen. So I think, well, I, I, I think, I think so. so. I, think there is, I think there's some truth to that. And um, I think obviously they're, they're padded, padding their team after uh, their success in Buffalo, and they should. And I think a little bit of that swoosh buckling, you know, uh, mentality is uh, is in Gable. Dable has done a terrific job. Even that first game, I was surprised that he went for that two points, that two point conversion. Um, but uh, you know, he is he's not afraid. I mean, you saw early in the game on on Sunday, and I can't remember the play. But the Giants did something that I don't know if they jumped offside. Uh, but he and this was in the first two three minutes of the game, and and he was screaming. He was like an old style NFL coach, and I think we've gotten away from that. And I don't think it's for the better. You know, we have too many coaches that are kind of too passive, too analytic, too much of uh, they want to they want to be uh, the players' friends. And I think you could do both. You could be, you could be, give them tough love, and you could be effective. When Slayton dropped that ball, Dable went over to him, didn't didn't chew him out. Uh, you know, he he put his arm around him, and you know, said, "Hey, it's okay. You know, we, you might go back. We might need you. We might go to overtime. We might, you know." He kept him. He kept him up, and. Uh, I, th- I think that you need a little bit of that old time coaching that we've gotten away from that. We have too many of uh, of these guys who think they're cerebral, the the Staleys, uh, the Lafleur, uh, these type of guys that I don't know. I, I, I'm not knocking them, even though Staley, in my opinion, needs deserves to be knocked. And uh, I was surprised that the Chargers announced today that they're keeping him, but. Well, let's talk about that. They're running business, business that there, way. So. There is something to that because I was talking with a colleague of mine at the radio station, and we were saying, well, guess what? He's the same guy that called a timeout that let the Raiders win last year. So how is he still That's the, right. Right. the coach after two major blows back mm-hmm. and forth? Especially when you have a guy like Sean Payton out there. It's, it's you know, you, you, you pair Sean, Sean Payton up with up Justin Herbert. That's a pretty good coaches-quarterback combination. As we can see, the quarterback-coach dynamic matters. I think we're seeing it right now here in New York with with Jones uh, and and Dable. Now let's go to LA real quick. We'll get back to Buffalo in a minute, but LA. While we're on the topic, the offensive guys. I get it. They didn't score after scoring. I don't know twenty-seven points to go up twenty-seven nothing. But I also don't get it because. You're basically saying they're your scapegoats and we're keeping Staley, right? That's how this is going? Well, that's basically what it is. I mean, it looks like they might have fired the wrong coach, but uh, um, it was 27 nothing, and it looked at, and they allowed Jacksonville to score that touchdown in the last 30 seconds of the half. I mean, that, that's, on, that's on a defensive team. Why wasn't, why wasn't the defensive coordinator fired? They fired Joe Lombardi. Uh, the um, offensive coordinator, I mean, he put up 27 points. Yeah, they probably should have scored some points in the second half. They had their, their average field position for the game was four on the 40, their own 41-yard line, so they were in good field position the whole game. Uh, Staley, on fourth and three in the fourth quarter, up 30 to 20, went for the field goal from 43 yards out. And I'm going to be honest with you, watching the game, 
I would have gone for the field goal too. Um, but they didn't get it. They missed the field goal. Um, and in, in the last six minutes, they allowed Jacksonville to uh, um, score 10, you know, 11 points, touchdown, two point conversion to make it 30 to 28. And then they kicked the field goal at the end. Their defense didn't stop them. There was a, I know there was a couple of Joey Boza penalties that were very, very borderline, and he was he's still complaining about it today. But uh, that's not – the Los Angeles Chargers cannot lose that game. And uh, that. I mean, they did. I mean, and and look, look, look at Trevor Lawrence, his first NFL playoff game. Had a horrendous first half. But the kid showed me something, showed me why he's going to be – Next year, I would be shocked if he's not in that in that upper echelon of quarterbacks that we always talk about: Mahomes, Allen, Herbert, Burrow. He should be he should be in that uh, group. And um, he showed me something. He shook it off that horrible first half, four interceptions, and um, he just stayed mentally tough, and they won the game. You and they won the game without, without, without uh, uh, his, quarterback his quarterback play. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Lou, but he's had multiple games where he's had about as many touchdowns as he has interceptions along the way here. So it's not that it's a shock. It just happened at, at a very pivotal moment. Uh, now, on the Lawrence situation, as you know, you know, I, when Clemson would play in the national title game, I would actually root for him over Alabama, and I thought Debo did a hell of a job with him in Clemson. Uh, but I think... He has a chance against Mahomes. Call me crazy, but remember, Burrow beat Mahomes last year. So the guy and the Chiefs. So the Chiefs are beatable. What do you think? Um, out of the four games this weekend, if you want to go by what they call the confidence level, I would say my confidence level with the Jags beating the Chiefs would be fourth. I would put the Bengals first, even though the Bengals have major offensive line problems. Uh, I think you could flip-flop. Uh, I'd, I'd, put, I'd put the Cowboys second, but not so far ahead of the Giants third in Philadelphia. So that's how I think the four, the four underdogs would I have the confidence in and then and them winning. The Bengals can win in Buffalo. There's no doubt about it. Um, the Cowboys, you never know. Uh, they played, obviously, they play, play an excellent game on Monday night. Uh, Tampa Bay was is not very good. They're not a good team, uh, but uh, Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator for the Cowboys, really called a fantastic game, and he had Zach uh, Dak uh, ready to the roll. The first three series they couldn't do anything, and then after that, Dallas's offense totally had Tampa Bay off balance, and uh, Prescott, who's a f- terrific thrower over the football, he has. Terrific receivers. Dalton Schultz is an underrated tight end, and he's a free agent at the end of this year, unrestricted. He's going to make a lot of money. If Dallas is going to pay him, somebody will. That's for sure. Uh, So Dallas has a chance in San Francisco. There's no doubt about it. I think all these underdogs, I I think three of the four underdogs have a real chance. I really can't see Jacksonville going into Kansas City and winning that game. I I can't. I want to go to Bengals and Buffalo. By the way, Kellen Moore, a former Jet, for those keeping score, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh, no, I don't think he ne- he never played for the Jets. He never played. He 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 went he went to Boise State. He was an excellent quarterback for Boise State. Terrific college quarterback. Was drafted by the Cowboys, and um, uh, he's he's going to be an NFL head coach sooner than later. That's for sure. Well, that name always uh, often sounds familiar, but I got to go up to Buffalo and, and Cincinnati. See, a lot was made about should we remake, should we make this up after DeMar, and everybody agreed not to make it up. But this is God's way of bringing a huge rematch. I mean, this this is unfinished business now that we, we can say DeMar is home and safe and alive. This is unfinished business this weekend, isn't it? It definitely is, um, and uh, the only difference is this game's going to be played in Buffalo instead of Cincinnati, and I hear that there might be a chance that it might be a snow game on on uh, Sunday. So uh, that will make it interesting if that if the weather forecast is correct. It's a, hey, it's a, it's a game between two teams that 
really are Super Bowl worthy. Um, Burrow has that, always has that air of confidence. He has that poise. Here's a kid who, you know, uh, two years ago, uh, three years ago, won the NCAA championship game. Uh, two years later, came within 90 seconds in really his first full year after that injury of winning the Super Bowl. Um, he's not afraid. He's not going to be afraid playing in that Buffalo environment. Um, that that game's a toss-up. I mean, if and I hate I hate to be a predictor. I don't I don't like prediction being you know predicting games. But if I had to predict, I, I would have to go with, with Buffalo by a smidge. But I wouldn't be surprised if Cincinnati wins. Well, I especially really if Allen coughs it up a little bit, right? I mean, they got away with that against Miami. They may not get away with a Bengal defense that, I don't know, had the turnover at the goal line for a touchdown. I mean, they are ferocious defense. Mm-hmm. You know, they may not get away. You can't make those mistakes two weeks in a row and, and try to advance. The only reason Miami had a chance in that game was because Buffalo turned the ball over um, and uh, there was that one long punt return. You know, they had to scoop and score. That, that's what kept Miami in the game because Mike McDaniel did a horrendous job coaching that game. He was having trouble getting the plays in he didn't, uh, to, uh, to Skylar Thompson. He didn't help his young quarterback at all. I mean, he might end up being a great coach. He wasn't a great coach on Sunday especially down the stretch. They used all their timeouts because they couldn't get the play in. Like I said, they did nothing to help their, uh, their young quarterback. And early in the game, um, uh, Waddell drops that pass where uh, Thompson put it right in his hand, that bomb that could have given Miami an early 7-0 lead. They didn't help the kid. The kid has, I think Thompson has a chance to be in the league a long time. He could he could be one of those guys that. Uh, oh, yeah, I, remember, I remember that kid. He's still in the league. He could be. I mean, he, I think he's he has a, he has a shot. But Miami did nothing to did nothing to help him. I mean, McDaniel really had no idea what was going on. So he had poise. I'll tell you that. But I, I got to ask you this, Lou, because obviously we came into the weekend with two quarterbacks, leading quarterbacks out, Tua out with the concussion protocol. And then Lamar Jackson being criticized by some for not playing that game. And look, he wants to protect himself. I don't. I don't. Uh, I. I don't think Lamar Jackson's in the wrong for doing that. What he's done on social media afterward—that's questionable to me. But as far as taking care of your body, I, I'm all for that. Well, if he was, and I don't believe, and I don't believe this, but if he was able to play and was protecting his body because of his upcoming free agency, that would be disappointing and really wrong. And he'll never, if that's true, he'll never play for the Ravens again. I just can't believe it's true. I just can't believe a competitor, a guy who's won MVP, uh, would, would do that. I mean, I just, I just hope it's not true because, you know, I've even, I even heard today on a couple of the uh, talk shows uh, that, you know, hey, did, you know, did Lamar was ready to play and he just didn't play. If he did that, I don't, first of all, if he did that, even a team that wants to, who needs a quarterback in this free agent market might have second thoughts about, about signing him. I just can't believe that, that he was healthy and didn't play. I don't believe it. I just, I just really don't believe it. Well, I, and, you know, I, you know, I I can't see, I cannot see him faking it to 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 make. I, he's not that built. Yeah, yeah I, agree. I agree. He had this remarkable game against the Steelers, in which I'll never forget. It almost it either went to overtime or it avoided overtime, but he pulled out that win and that got him into the playoffs a couple uh, years ago, or, or maybe right. the right. pandemic mm-hmm. year, if I'm not mistaken, or year after. But he's a competitor. All right, speaking of competition. Um, I feel like I, I want to just go back to one thing because you mentioned guys that, that I'm di- that you'd be disappointed with. Well, as you know, Doug Peterson has disappointed me in the past. He sat Jalen Hurts, and I still think he cost the Giants a playoff spot by benching, by not playing Hurts in the fourth quarter of that game a few years ago. And you and I went back on fourth on this. Look, 
he may have gotten the Jaguars a special playoff victory, but to me, he is the guy who cost the Giants. Okay. Well, again, as we and we as we've spoken about uh, off air, uh, I wouldn't worry about it too much because the Giants were six and ten that year. It's not like the Giants were eleven and uh, eleven and five or eleven and six or twelve and four. They were six and ten. The Giants were terrible. The division was terrible. So as a coach, you don't sit your main, your, your, uh, your prospect. I just, I, I don't know. And especially in a winning situation <laughs> like that. Well, again, that was his opinion and he actually got fired after that game anyway. So it didn't help him. <laughs> they were four and 12 that year. Remember that? That was a disaster. Cause he just, he was, he was lost after Foles left. I think, I think he and him had a, he had a really good bond with Nick Foles. That that's why they won. I'll never forget the trick play where Foles made the reception in the end zone against the Patriots, and we're like, "What just happened?" Remember that? Yeah, the the Philly special. Yeah, so, uh, so we'll see. I mean, uh, he's you know he's done a good job, but his his season should end about seven thirty on Saturday night. It would be, would be a monumental upset if Jacksonville wins in Kansas City. But, uh, you know, it's it's an interesting NFL playoffs. It's going to be interesting right to the Super Bowl. It's going to be interesting right uh, right uh, through March 15th when uh, the free agency starts. And there's, you know, some, as uh, we talked about, there's some free agent NFL quarterbacks that it's going to be interesting to see where they end end up. I mean, obviously, at the top of the the list is somebody we talked about, Lamar, Lamar Jackson. Do the Ravens resign him? Uh, Sean Payton said the other day on uh, Fox, he said the Ravens are not going to resign him. I thought that was pretty interesting. Do do a team like the Jets go after him? The Jets need a quarterback uh, for sure. I mean, the rest of their team, obviously, they had two first-team young NFL defensive picks in Gardner and Quinn and Williams. And and uh, C.J. Mosley, all all NFL on the second team. That's pretty good when you have three out of the, your eleven uh, make the the All Pro team, and uh, they just need a quarterback. Do they go after Jackson? If they go after Jackson, they'll have to change their offense. Uh, but uh, you have you have Jackson, you have Derek Carr. Where does he end up? Um, you have Garoppolo. You know the, the Raiders handle that so messily, and I'll tell you what. Al Davis ought to be rolling in his grave on how his family has handled the Raiders. I mean, I know they've had some playoff closeness, but they're not the just win baby mentality out in. No, they're not. You're right. You're right. Uh, I wanted to elaborate on that. Yeah, they're not. They're not. They don't have that mentality. And are you going to see them wanting to sell the team? You know, fans wanting them to sell the team soon. Because I think that should happen at this point if they're not going to honor Al Davis's legacy. Well, you know, the thing is, now that Brady season is over, is he going to retire? Is he going to continue? And everybody has him pointing to either the Miami Dolphins or to the Las Vegas Raiders. I can't see why he would go to the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, yes, they they have they have um, Devontae Adams. Yes, they have Darren Waller. Yes, they have Hunter Renfro. Yes, they have Jacobs. But that's a tough division. Kansas City's still in that division. And uh, if Tom Tom Brady and I'm going to be 46 years old, I don't know if I want to play in the AFC. It's tougher to get to the Super Bowl, you know, that that way. Um, the Dolphins said that too is going to be their quarterback next year. But again, is he going to? be okay with the concussion situation i don't know if brady's playing i have and i have no idea if he plays where he's going to play i can tell you what it will not be it won't be tampa bay because that's what needs a lot do you think he thinks it was worth it to go eight and nine i know he had a record year himself again but eight and nine you get blown out at home in your first round yet in the process you've basically i feel like he ruined his marriage in my view based on what was being talked about, and of course, Giselle was sort of on her own, and then, of course, you got Arians resigning. I mean, all of this 
turmoil behind the 8-9 season cannot be forgotten. Well, I think uh, you're probably – you make some good points there. Uh, I wonder if he would do it again if he knew it was going to end up like this. And let's face it, if Brady didn't pull some of his Brady magic out, they would have lost to New Orleans. You know, there was three or four games where he – the game in Arizona he pulled out. They should have lost that that game on – on Thanksgiving, I think it was Thanksgiving night. Vintage Brady, uh, both times, if I'm not mistaken. So. Yeah. Um, so they would have been four and twelve, four and thirteen. It's it's not uh, good, and I've never seen him yell at the sidelines like that either. You could tell everything was getting to him this past year, and he didn't have. You know what? He didn't have Gronkowski, and you see what a powerful connection that is. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, right. Yep. No, him and Gronk had have that special chemistry. There's no doubt about it. So where he ends up as a free agent quarterback, I, I really don't have any idea. But there's a lot of teams that need quarterbacks. And landing spots for some of these guys. Geno Smith is a free agent. He's going to make a lot of money. He went. For, you talk about a guy coming off the scrap heap. He had a brilliant year. He's a brilliant thrower of the football. He led the, the NFL in uh, completion percentage. He's going to make a lot of money. So is Daniel Jones. He's, he's a free agent. Um, Lamar Jackson, of course, is going to make a lot of money. Carr's going to make a lot of money. All these quarterbacks are. And Baker Mayfield's a free agent. I know everybody likes to, uh, you know, spit on uh, Baker Mayfield. He's pretty, I still think he's pretty good. And I think if he gets to the right team, uh, he, could, he could be okay. Uh, I want to get to the nine. You know, then you have... All this then you have, have uh, uh, you have guys like Bridgewater, Bridgewater and uh, Gardner Minshew and Sam Darnold, all free agents. But you know they'll end up somewhere because everybody needs a quarterback. But the interesting guy is who's not a free agent is Aaron Rodgers. He has three years left on his deal, and if I don't know if he wants to be traded or if, or the Packers just are going going to trade him. I don't think they are. I think he'll be on the Packers uh, when uh, the smoke clears. I mean, he developed as the season went along. He developed some of these young receivers who are productive. But uh, as somebody who follows the Jets, that's the guy. I would, he would be the first guy I would look at. Because, yeah, I know he's 38 years old, but he's in great shape. He's, he's not uh, been banged up. And uh, really, the only thing the Jets need is a quarterback of that nature. And I, I believe the Jets are ready to, if they could find the quarterback, they're, they're going to, uh, they're going to go for it. I've got to say this. I want to go over to San Francisco because I'm very curious to know this. I get you have a, you know, a guy in Trey Lance who's behind Brock Purdy right now. Uh-huh. I feel like that's a big controversy in the making, especially if Garoppolo isn't 100% next year. But how do you not, in the middle of this guy, taking him now into the next round, uh, again, after taking over for the team, right? He took over for the injured Garoppolo. How do you say he's not going to be the starter next year? It's very demoralizing to a quarterback or to any player, I would think going through a playoff run. Hey, you're not our guy next year. Why make that announcement now? I, I don't understand it. Well, let, let's see what happens as the playoffs go on. Like I said last week, every round, the pressure builds. And we haven't seen uh, him under that much pressure yet. Last week, there was a little pressure. I mean, they were down at the half, 17 to 16. Uh, but uh, the kid had a great game. But let's see him overcome adversity like Lawrence did the other night. That, Like I said, that showed me a lot with Lawrence. Let's see if when, when this happens to Purdy, if it happens to Purdy uh, in these playoffs. Um, he's only making $900,000 a year. So, obviously, San Francisco can use other – can use their money on other players instead of – instead of a quarterback. Um, Garoppolo's a free agent. He's not coming back. Trey Lance, I mean, <laughs> you know, they they traded up to uh, draft number three, and if they had the number two, they would have picked Zach Wilson. They were in love with Zach Wilson. 
you know, so uh, so who knows what's going to happen with Trey Lance. But Purdy's got to be their guy. I mean, the guy does not look – hey, um, if the draft was – if last year's draft was done all over again – would uh, he be mystery relevant? No, he would be going in the first round. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Brock Purdy. Well, that's right. And I'll tell you what, he was mystery relevant last year. And so yeah, that's yeah. why it's going to be very interesting Interesting what happens. All right. As we were talking about all this, um, I don't know if you have any more thoughts on the free agent quarterback scene. It seems like there's going to be a big landscape. I personally think it was great. Judge and Jones having this parallel contract year I know was at the tail end of the season but still both guys the first month of that's a month of September were like showing hey give me our money give us our money right at the same time yeah no uh like I said if the Giants had exercised the fifth year option on Jones they would have paid him 18 million dollars next year uh but now they're going to be paying him between 25 and 30 million I think that's what he's going to get um, so, uh, you know, they weren't sure about him either. And, uh, I always thought he was pretty good. And I said this to one of my, my friends who works for an NFL team. And I wish I had mentioned on last week's podcast with you, um, who would you take Daniel Jones or Lamar Jackson? And this kid works for one of the teams in the league. And well, Without even a second thought, he said Lamar Jackson. And I said I would take Daniel Jones. Um, and that was before this came on on a, a Sunday. Uh, they're both great. Obviously, Lamar Jackson's going to get probably $40 million. Somebody will give him $40 million. But uh, if I had my choice, I would take Daniel I would take Daniel Jones. That's just I'm just wondering. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm in the minority there. Yeah, but uh, I think he's pretty good. And I think he throws a beautiful pass, and he kept his poise, and I think it's going to get better. I just wonder if he's in the running in San Francisco with all this talk about quarterback over there. We'll have to see. All right, I got to get your thought on this because you're a legendary Met fan. You've followed them, you know, from your your teenage years. And an original Met passed away this week, and I wanted your thoughts on that. Frank Thomas, tell us what you know about one of the, what, last original uh, Mets or – yeah, I guess he has to be one of the last original Mets. Um, I saw him play, um, and uh, he was a power hitter. He had 34 home runs the first year in Mets history, which was 1962, uh, a team that was made up of all over-the-hill veterans, a lot of good names, Gil Hodges, Richie Ashburn, Frank Thomas, uh, but uh, Don Zimmer was their opening day third baseman. But uh, they're all basically uh, over the hill. Uh, but uh, he, he was a power hitter. He was still effective. He had 286 home runs in, in a major league career. And he loved being a Met. He was at Old Timers Gay in, in August. And, uh, uh, you know, Jay Horowitz was talking about um, Frank Thomas the other day after, after he passed away about how happy he was to be able to make it. Uh, to old timers day and talk with with the guys you see in those days in 62 63 Mets nobody you see expansion team now you see teams like the Seattle crack and they and uh you know they're having this great second year after having a a truly expansion type year last year it didn't happen in those days in the 60s in sports whether it was a basketball team or a, a baseball team especially uh, the, the Mets were picking from a, a talent pool of 15 guys um, not like when Arizona and uh, Colorado and the Marlins came in and they were picking from, uh, you know, from a pool from both the American League and National League. Totally different. Um, so you knew your team wasn't going to be good for five, six years. So you just, you know, you, you accepted it. And uh, guys like Frank Thomas became the guys. They were like your stars. They were like uh, uh, Pete Alonso is now. But again, you know that the team wasn't going anywhere. They were going to lose a hundred, a hundred games every year, and I think the Mets lost hundred games the first their first six seasons. And um, but yeah, but that that that's the connection to those early days. And the Mets drew like crazy those first those first couple of years, no matter how bad they were. 
Well, they but, definitely uh, got you know, it. Bob Thomas was a, was a legendary original Met. They definitely are and were beloved, and they are beloved. And I've got some breaking news. Don't know if you saw, but today the Mets announced that Howard Johnson, Al Leiter, Gary Cohen, my buddy, and Era Howie Rose, my fellow alumnus and buddy, are all going into the Mets Hall of Fame this year. How cool is that? And Jay Horowitz will be honored with the team's Hall of Fame Achievement Award. So we got to go to that game this year, Lou. Yeah, well, uh, that's, that's congratulations to them. I'm actually going to have lunch with Jay on Monday. Uh, so I will uh, talk to him about that. So he's getting a, Jay's getting a, a special award. He, and, he is, uh, he is. And I'm, I'm going to show you this picture. Back in the day, uh, maybe I'll post it on my Instagram also, back in the day with Howie Rose interviewing him at the WQMC Radio Studios. There's a real picture of him and I just across the table from each other. I mean, this is this is vintage, and guess what? WQMC is where, like, people make things happen, and I, I'm very proud to be a fellow alumnus with him. And he's been a, a, a friend be. over the years, that's for sure. Um, an outlier. Oh, there it is. I just saw the picture. Uh, yeah, that's... That, that that's great. Now, from what I hear, Howie's a very very good guy. I can tell you the story. I was covering the team for a local Queens paper, and he spent 20 minutes shooting the breeze with me before first pitch. And I'm like, this guy gets it, you know. So I got to yeah. reach out. He he actually is looking for a play by play partner because Wayne Randez was not going to be there this year. Yeah, I wonder what the Mets are going to do. With uh, they haven't announced who's getting that that job yet, and I think they need they need two. They they need somebody to replace Wayne Randazzo, who is an excellent broadcaster, and they need um, somebody a third backup type guy because, as we know, because Howie doesn't do all the games anymore, (laughs) he's had some health issues. So where do I apply, Lou? I would definitely try for that. Hey, uh, just 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 call the Mets up. Why not? Right? That seems like a good mm-hmm. way to go. All right. Um, this has been a fun episode. I feel like there's so much more to talk about. I don't even want to get your predictions because I know you don't predict games uh, like that. But I think it's going to be a fun eventful weekend. And I guess on the Mets note, they did sign Tommy Pham today. So you know they didn't get Correa, but I, I guess Pham was sort of like a. a He's a one-year stopgap. You know, he he's he fits right in. He's thirty-four years old, <laughs> and he knows how to pull a punch or two. I guess. So. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yep. Oh man, That's that, that sure. whole fantasy football—that was crazy, huh? Um, one other story I did want to touch on because we text a lot and we and we talk about this is, and I don't want to end on a depressing note, but I've got to ask you this on on the air here. Robin Lehner, what happened to him? Because he was such a vital part of that Islander run, and now mm-hmm. he's filing for bankruptcy, and maybe people don't really follow him anymore because he's in Vegas, but it is kind of sad to see that trajectory. Yeah, well, Robin Robin Lehner has had issues in his life. Um, he has He's had mental illness problems. He doesn't try to hide it. Uh, he won the Masterson Trophy for Perseverance in the NHL, the year he was with the Islanders. Um, I, and uh, I guess he's just made some bad business decisions and he had to file for bankruptcy, which is which is too bad because he is an excellent goaltender and he was key to that first Islander run. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's 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 sad. I mean, it's sad. And you know, Vegas signed him because they were looking for him to be the goalie uh, to be to take him to the cup. <clears throat> I mean, they actually got rid of Mark Andre Fleury eventually because because of that. So not good. Hopefully, everything works out for the guy. Plus, he's had some injuries. <clears throat> but I do have some I do have some high notes to tell you, but to, to talk about with you real quick. 
it's Seton Hall and St. John's back-to-back wins against a ranked Connecticut team. And here we were a week ago, a week or two ago saying, well, why haven't these teams gelled, you know, in their games? But all of a sudden, here they are back-to-back, uh, you know, Sunday, Wednesday, beating up the ranked team of Connecticut. Uh, some uh, bit of bragging rights there for both teams. having beaten For sure, no doubt about it. And, and the, thing the thing is, is the seasons are long. You just got to keep working hard. You can't, you, you can't give up. There's going to be ups and downs, uh, whether it's in any sport. And um, got, Seton Hall's defense tonight was the reason they came back from the 17 points down uh, uh, to, win the, to win the game. They're offensively challenged, but uh, they hung in there. And uh, Nadefo knocking in an offensive rebound, won the game for them with 1.6 seconds to go. There you go. And what happened on St. John's game on Sunday? How, how dominant did they look? That was, sho- that was shocking to me. Not that they won, but how, how they won. How they won in such dominant fashion at the Civic Center. Well, there you have it. And then one other note that I want to get to. We, we've gone through the gamut. Why not just go there here real quick? I don't know if you remember the time when Nick scored 20 straight games of 100-plus points, but that's been the case. A bad loss on MLK Day, but nonetheless, 20 straight. Uh, this Brunson guy's making a difference. Randall seems to be back to himself, the not the guy that was thumbs-downing everybody after the <laughs> disapproval. I mean, look, and Thibodeau saved his job this year, hasn't he? I would say so. I would say so. Um, well, one of the reasons why uh, the Knicks are scoring 100 points a game, and I think they're averaging like 114 points a game, obviously the NBA game is different than it was back in the the days where the Knicks were grinding out victories because the league was more of a grinder league. Um, I was just looking at something today because Chris Ford passed away today. Chris Ford was a a guard who played at Villanova. He was a he's one of the best college players in the state of New Jersey ever. And uh played Villanova. They went to the NCAA championship game against the legendary UCLA team in nineteen seventy one. They lost by six at the Astrodome. Uh he then played in the NBA for the, the Pistons and the Celtics and he coached three he coached four NBA teams. But uh he was the first player when the NBA adopted the three-point shot in 1979-80. He made the first ever three-point basket in NBA history. Okay, so one of the differences you talk about difference in scoring, this makes a big difference. That first year in 79-80, the average three-pointers taken per game by both teams, not by one team, by both teams, were 2.8 a game. Under three combined three-pointers a game. Um, Five years later, it actually went down. It went down to to under two and a half combined three-point attempts a game. Uh, Last year, 35 combined three-point attempts a game. This year, 34 uh, 34 three-point attempts a game. The three-pointers make a big difference. And the game isn't as rugged as it was. Uh, you know, it's not as rugged as at the post. You can get to the rim easier. That's my, That's the reason for the uh, the higher scoring, and it's affected every team. That's why oh, I think well, the Knicks had 421. Last night, uh, uh, the Bucks scored 130 points. And Annette Coupo didn't even play because he has that knee injury. Um, so we're just seeing high high scores because that's the way the game is now being played. It's no longer throw the ball down into the post uh, to a big seven-foot guy uh, and banging guys around. Hey, you remember those Knicks-Heats games, uh, those those Nick bull games? Those those games were grinders. They were like a hot, hockey game on uh, on hardwood. 
You don't you know, see that. Honest, I was in the struggling years of the Knicks, so I don't remember that. I I, I actually started following them. Well, you well, see, I, I, forget, I, forget, I forget how young you are. <laughs> well, I remember, so the Knicks, Rangers, and Yankees all had that success, and I was a wee little guy, basically, right, at like six, seven years old, and then when I grow up, everything else goes to crap. But hey, <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there, as uh, yep, yep. Joe Piscopo says. We'll get there, you know. Yeah, well, yeah. that's it. We'll get there. <laughs> hey, Lou, I am so glad we covered like literally everything. And and one last note on the three point game, it can make you or break you in the NBA, and that's just the name of the game right now. Yeah, it it can because when it when it's breaking you, you look horrible. When you can't hit one of those. Three point shots, uh, one after the other. My God, you, you, you look—it looks terrible. But the evolution of the three point shot from being okay if we need it to being a main part of the game over the years is pretty remarkable. I heard you're going to try and uh, beat Steph in a three point contest. Though. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Hey, Lou, I loved having you again this week for Terminello's take. We covered a lot of ground, and hopefully. The Giant defense can do that against Jalen Hurts this week. We'll have to see. Watch early in the game. Key to the game is early. As I said, if Hurts is tentative, we know he might be hurt. Um, If they fall behind, the Eagles do, playing at home may not be working to their advantage. That's a very critical crowd, and uh, they might feel the pressure from that crowd. So they booed Santa Claus. All right. That's how critical. That's, that's right. right. That's all you need to know. They did boo Santa Claus. That's a fact. All right. Lou. Well, on that note, I'm going to end this convo on your favorite music. Now I'm going to play this every time you come on because I think you just love it so much. It's a little more Sam Spence for you. Thanks for joining me, Lou. Always, Always a pleasure, a pleasure, Alex. Look forward to next week. 